Disha Filial set the literary world on fire in 2020 with her sexy, powerful, and thought-provoking short stories in her book, The Secret Lives of Church Ladies. Her work explores intertwining themes of sex, religion, family, and how the lines of morality are never black and white. On this season two premiere of Vulgar Geniuses, we sit down with the incomparable National Book Award finalist, Disha Filia. She talks to us about her writing journey that has launched her on a path to surely becoming a household name. I'm Denny. And I'm Veronica. Join us as we discuss the secret lives of church ladies on Vulgar Geniuses podcast. So don't go away. Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzy'sbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code VULGARGENIUS to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. Well, hey, welcome back. Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year. We made it. We made it to 2021. And uh, New Year, new us. We are no longer forks and fangs. We decided to keep it simple for everybody. So we are now calling ourselves the Vulgar Genius Geniuses Podcast. Yes, we're sticking by the name. So New Year, um, new new author and maybe new favorite author (laughs) (laughs) definitely mine and we are so excited to have her here with us um she is the writer of our december book of the month uh the secret lives of church ladies her name is disha filia Uh, she's known for writing on race parenting gender and culture has appeared on New York Times, the Washington Post, McSweeney's, The Rumpus, and more. But most importantly, she is a National Book Award finalist for 2020. (laughs) And we are beyond excited to have her here with us today on the podcast. So let's give a hand for our wonderful writer, Ms. Disha Filia. Yay! Thank you. Welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, just from the name of the podcast, I was in love. So, and then I listened to, um, listened to the podcast. I'm really, really excited to be here. So I heard y'all cutting up. Mm -hmm. Sure did. Yep. (laughs) We're, you know, we're, we're, we try to be funny at times, but I think that's just us. And also, we we call it as we see it. Hey, that's the only way to be. I appreciate yeah. that. Yes, and um, yeah, and our name came from a Wu Tang Clan name, <laughs> name generator. generator. <laughs> so it was Love it. perfect, perfect fit. Um, so yeah, so let's go ahead and just like um, bounce on into this this wonderful discussion with you. First of all, we want to say congratulations yes. again to being um, a National Book Award finalist. Very well deserved. Yes. Very well deserved. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, with our doing our research, uh, we found that you went to school and you study um, economics. We want to know how... <laughs> Studying economics into writing this wonderful book. book. So economics was a mistake. (laughs) So I'll start with that. 
<laughs> I was uh, a first generation college student. Um, I did not understand the whole concept and freedom that came with liberal arts. I thought I had to be really practical and get a degree that I could see a direct link from that degree to a job. Um, because the idea was you graduate from college to be self-sufficient um, and that self-sufficiency meant a job. And so I, you know, I, I have to admit my imagination <laughs> wasn't very broad then. So it was like, well, I don't want to be a doctor. I don't want to be a lawyer. Uh, nothing in the sciences. That is not my ministry. Um, so what else is left? Oh, I know business. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to be in business. Um, and, and Yale doesn't have an undergraduate business major. So I'm looking in the catalog and I'm like, oh, economics, that's close enough. <laughs> so it's not, it's not. Um, and so uh, not surprisingly, I hated my first job out of college, which was in management consulting. And then, um, so I lasted about nine months and then I got a fellowship to get my master's degree in teaching. And uh, that was great because I actually love teaching. Um, I taught elementary school for a couple of years. And then my then husband and I moved to Pittsburgh um, and decided we wanted to start a family. And I didn't want to teach um, um, at that time. I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And so I, I actually never went back to teaching kids. Um, and so it was when I was the mother of a toddler who did not nap that I started writing. I had always enjoyed writing, but it, you know, it also, it wasn't practical. It didn't seem, and it wasn't a way to make a living. All I knew about writers is that, you know, I mean, I knew about the famous ones, but I knew that in general, you know, writers did not make a lot of money. Um, and, you know, that be, that's the dog. Hello. Hey. That's Fudgy. Hi, Fudgy. <laughs> <laughs> and you know being self-sufficient and 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 being financially stable is the, you know was the goal um but at that point um you know it was something that I could do even if it was just 30 minutes a day for myself and for for my own sanity and and that's when I started writing yeah that I understand like something that you have to do for yourself because mm -hmm. I'm a mom and I'm also a mom of a toddler 16 months so it's like bless you <laughs> i appreciate that <laughs> you know me, i can read what you write that that's how it works like you know i even if it's like 10 minutes 20 minutes because self you know self-worth is important oh, yes yeah i mean it's you taking care of yourself is a gift to your child you know that makes you a better parent when we do that thing that sometimes people or even ourselves we think of as selfish but there's just we just can't give and give and give and not be filled ourselves like we have to and that's this little thing that I had and then it grew um but yeah that's where it started when when did you uh realize that you were a writer because it's one thing to write but then it's one right thing to write well I had in my head as a lot of um new writers do this idea that it's publishing that validates you as a writer, you know, some, for some people it's, it's, it's also, or, you know, getting paid to write or something like that. But I was looking for the validation. Um, but then I wrote this really dorky fan email to a writer uh, here in Pittsburgh, um, Tony Norman, who's a veteran columnist and editor at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. 
And he was one of the few writers um, in the city that I was aware of at the time. And I would read his column every Tuesday and Friday. And, um, and so I reached out to him and was just, you know, asking for advice and, and just, you know, I want to be a writer and I don't even know what other weird stuff I said. Um, <laughs> and, and he was so gracious and he, he wrote back and he said, well, first of all, I can tell you that you're already a writer. And secondly, um, you must be a masochist if this is what you want to do. <laughs> so I was like, wow, he used the word masochist. <laughs> and then he invited me to lunch. And I, 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 so I felt so grown up and real and, you know, validated. Um, so that was kind of the beginning. And then I don't remember a point after that. Um, but but that's how I used to frame this idea of, you know, being a writer. But somewhere during those uh, afternoon, you know, 30-minute writing sessions, um, I found that the good feeling that I got from writing, like I wanted to keep doing that. And I I was telling my own story through these characters. Like I, I um, people ask me about church ladies and I've always been writing church ladies. I just didn't think of them that way. But what I was doing was writing my own dissatisfaction. I wasn't comfortable take writing about my own life and my own feelings as nonfiction in the beginning. So I gave all of that to these characters from you know my imagination, from nostalgia, um, who were church ladies um, in one form or fashion. Nice. So, like, so going to the church ladies, you were saying like, so the inspiration of these ladies were sometimes maybe your own feelings and experiences or are they based from other people? So in those early days that I was writing my dissatisfaction at that time, um, you know, that was like 20 years ago. So my young, I'm sorry, my oldest daughter is 20, just turned 22 last month. So she was the toddler that did not nap. Um, since then, <laughs> one of the things um, that I'm really um, happy about is that I have grown as a writer and um, I've gotten more comfortable um, writing my stuff as my stuff, you know, as nonfiction in personal essay. Um, that said, there's still parts of me that show up in these characters. I think it's just kind of inevitable. Um, but I always feel like the stories um, are more interesting because they're not about me, you know? And that was the growth from writing about myself in, you know, disguise this fiction into actually creating, you know, creating characters and creating worlds um, where there may be a kernel of something that's true to me or true to my experience or my mother, you know, um, there's a lot of mother daughter stuff in my book, but I always try and make clear that there's no character that's me. There's no character that's my mother, um, but we are sprinkled, you know, throughout. Um, in Dear Sister, for example, um, I have four half sisters and there was a fifth sister that we only connected with um, once our father died. Um, but the four of us um, made the horrible mistake of picking up the phone and calling her all at once, all on the same call. You know, that's a little overwhelming. Like, hey, we're your sisters. And, you know, the guy who, you know, was our father, he's dead, but we want to get to know you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recommend that. I don't. Um, but I did think it was interesting to take that concept 
and put it in uh, epistolary form. I love, you know, writing epistolary things and I love reading those things. So that playing with form, um, I was able to take that kernel of me and, you know, build something around it. And those sisters in the story have, you know, they had a lifetime of relationship with each other that my sisters and I didn't have. Um, One of my sisters, our mothers were very intentional about raising us as sisters. Um, but the other two, we didn't have that. Um, and even in our adult lives, you know, we connected um, the four of us when our father died in 2005 and we've stayed in touch. Um, but they live in Florida and I live here and, you know, we haven't, I mean, I think three of them who are in Florida and now the fourth one, you know, they've done a lot more work of building a relationship together. Um, and I've always just sort of been in the, on the periphery because I don't live there and I, I will own, I, I haven't made the effort. Um, but now we have a group chat since, um, I want to say it's, I don't know how long it's been, maybe since the, um, gosh, how long, I don't know, but we have every Friday, everybody checks in, you know, we have that. Um, but it, so it was nice to kind of create the relationships between these sisters that I wish we could have had, you know? Um, and I would also never violate my sister's privacy to like say, I'm going to put you in this story. Um, but <laughs> one of my sisters is a nurse, but I always say she is nothing like Tashita, nothing at all. And she liked the story. So, she, you know, she was okay with that. Um, she didn't go, wait a minute, you know. That's <laughs> so are there any characters that you that you wrote that is like your favorite of, of all of them? Yeah, I really like Jael. She is so badass. Yes. <laughs> I have questions. <laughs> she is just like breaking bottles and threatening people and doing oh, the thing that she did at the end. You know, like, that's my girl. <laughs> yeah, like, I wish I was as brave as her when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And also, in one of when we had our book club discussion, one of one of the ladies there she was like also asking like um you know is she all right what happened to our girl did she make it through <laughs> right i want to believe that she did i want to believe that she's just like living her life yes. that the trauma of having done what she did that didn't derail her um that she's somewhere just being a boss and and, and most importantly being the boss of her own life that yes. she's you know the self possession that we see, you know, in her early on. I hope she, you know, never, never lost that. That's what I want to believe happened. She would her. be very happy. Her name's Jacqueline. She would be very happy. That, that was the first thing she asked. She's like, what about JL? <laughs> right, right. You know, I what I did, I've been in a couple of book clubs and um, we talk about her always. And she's often everybody's favorite character. Um, and I always turn the tables and I ask the question and I say, you know, if you were aware, if she was in your life and you knew what she did, would you turn her in? And nobody would turn her in, which I love. Because, you know, what I want for all of these stories is to show us how these moral questions are often, um, you know, they're, they're rarely black and white. Because typically we'd say, you know, if someone... Uh, a, a huge spoiler, if someone murdered somebody, you know, would you turn them in? And most of us would say yes. Um, but when you're faced with the full story, you know, and depending on who that person is, um, and not just, you know, people related to us, you know, but depending on the circumstances, even if it's somebody who's not related to us, 
um, you know, sometimes we say we know what we would do, but we really don't. You really don't. Like you could never say like, oh yes, I would go this route. But when presented mm -hmm. like the opportunity to pick, you're like, right, right, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And the same with like not Daniel. You know, a lot of people would be like, oh my gosh, no, I'm not down. I'm not really into reading about this guy that cheats on his wife. Then you put it in that context, and it's like, well, is this a story about infidelity or is it a story about grief? And does it excuse the infidelity or is that not an interesting question, you know? Um, and that's what I want is I want people to get tangled up in the questions that the story is hopefully raised for them. We are very tangled. Um, yeah. <laughs> Listen, Jada Smith said it, the entanglement. Or was it Will? Who, who coined that? Was it Will or Jada? Jada. It was Jada. 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 Okay. Yeah. Jada Pinkett Smith. <laughs> Original entangler. <laughs> Not not Daniel, definitely it reminded me of um oh now I'm going drawing a blank. The movie with Whitney Houston. The preacher's wife? No. <laughs> no, not the preacher's wife. The bodyguard. Bodyguard? Not the bodyguard. <laughs> the one with her and the and Loretta Devine. Oh, waiting to exhale. Waiting to exhale. And when oh. Angela Bassett's character um meets the the man in Wesley Snipes yes That's what it reminded me of it's like I understood it because you know you are both grieving characters you're needing yeah. some you're comfort. needing some kind of comfort some kind of touch and it's like I, human connection yeah. yeah yeah but do y'all remember the scene where he meets her at the bar and his hand is on the bar and it looks like a foot it's so ashy <laughs> y'all remember that part now, now, now I, I gotta go back and rewatch <laughs> that. Like, I have to be like, let's forward to the bar. <laughs> watch it. I, Cause I, and that's terrible because in that moment, like that's so not what that scene is about. I'm like, did they not have lotion on set? And it just took me out of the story. <sighs> Pulled her out. It was that significant. <laughs> you know how you have those moments where you don't realize something until someone tells you and now that's ever noticed <laughs> and it's like that for with me with Malik Yoba when they were talking about how his actually his lips look which come to find out it was like some kind of like skin issue that he has oh now, okay I see him that's where I focus in on and I'm like black people got to do that so now I got to go watch wait until <laughs> <laughs> that you know but you know that I'm uh, to redeem myself that our job as writers right you know is to pay attention to the details so somebody has to yeah exactly got to bring it up to to the front <laughs> so we want to know like with you writing this wonderful piece of work you know like which um authors have influenced you the most throughout your life up until now mm -hmm. tony morrison for sure james baldwin um i started reading james baldwin as a teenager and I would just read through his works like every year for a long time, probably like the, a decade from my teens into my early adulthood. And, you know, as I got older and as, as my life changed, I, I learned something different every time from him, um, not only in the substance of his um, work, works, but also um, the craft, you know, uh, of, and noticing. And as I was growing to become a writer, um, you know, I started reading like a writer and noticing those things. Um, the just unapologetic nature of his work, and the same is true of Toni Morrison. Um, the and and her um, 
the way she centered blackness without apology and you know created whole worlds with just us um and and our gaze and um it you know i couldn't get enough uh, i think about her book sula which was the first book for me that had black women doing whatever the fuck they wanted like you know um and and just seeing these different ways that we can be free and how free is so um subjective um and then the intergenerational nature of you know between the relationships between women of different generations the whole mothers and daughters um when you know she does deals with that in uh in multiple books and but i'm thinking specifically of sula again and also song of solomon um and and writing people who are flawed and complicated um and i will you know i don't think any of us can forget what she wrote and i believe it was in song of solomon about the seven days um, and the timeliness and timelessness of that, where, you know, there were these seven black men that when a black or a white person told a black person, um, each man was assigned a day and they went and they exacted revenge. And I, it, and it was, you know, she put that in there and there was no apology for it. There, you know, there was just all this moral complexity there. And then here we are, you know, however de many decades later and, you know, I've thought about the seven days, you know, I'll be really, really honest. And, um, you know, given our present circumstances. And so this idea that we don't, that in order to reclaim narratives about Black people, when the narratives about us have always painted us in such a negative, in the base light, the idea that we can then create um, and, and recreate and tell the truth about ourselves. And that truth doesn't always have to be squeaky clean. And it doesn't always have to be, you know, morally above reproach. Um, and, and again, the, the messy questions of what is justice and what is right um, in, in looking at right and wrong in those kinds of instances. So, you know, that she, she really modeled that complexity um, and, and the sense that, you know, you don't have to answer to anybody. Yes. The, the characters that you create in the in the situations that you put them in um she just always struck me um as very um the, the confidence with which she wrote and lived her life um I, you know i aspire to that that's a good good thing to aspire to <laughs> she was such an amazing writer her along with james baldwin because i know mm -hmm. i didn't I both of those writers are writers that I knew growing up, but never really mm -hmm. got into their work until I got older. Mm -hmm. so before Jane, James Baldwin came about where I used to be a media clerk and the uh, the librarian of the school was getting rid of all the old books mm -hmm. and was giving getting rid of a class set of fire next time. Oh, my God. You know, I was like, why? You know, I had never read it. But all mm -hmm. I knew was the importance of the name. And I'm like, yeah. why are you giving these away? She's like, oh, they're they're too old. And so I stole one and I read it. <laughs> and my mind blew. And I was like, I, I don't understand why we aren't talking about this. Yeah. After mm -hmm. you read that book, you could never go back. Exactly. Yeah. Like, there's something that opens up in your head and it, li li it lives in that mm -hmm. space forever. Mm -hmm. and yeah. 
it it kind of like those books or those authors kind of like when you look at somebody or like a situation you mm-hmm. sometimes revert to what they're saying and they're like oh he or she is right oh look at where we are right now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they have mm-hmm. truth in what they say mm-hmm. and absolutely that always have struck me because mm-hmm. i'm an immigrant i'm from the philippines So I never really knew like the whole entirety of the history of America. It was what what was presented to us in books, you know, that have been books made by colonizers. So the whole story wasn't, you know, put out there. They always Mm -hmm. have like the nice, good people. Mm -hmm. You come to find out as an adult that these good, nice, good people are really not that nice and not that good. And Mm -hmm. so those like the authors that you've mentioned have really made an impact on me because I'm like oh what they've experienced I've experienced too Mm -hmm. there's just some form of like bond that in my head they're all my friends yes (laughs) yes my oh my gosh that my friends and my teachers (laughs) so much so that before I forget I want to say that stealing James Baldwin should be the title of something I don't know what but um I was so I was so personally drawn to James Baldwin and his work. It, it you know, I just had such a love for him that um, I was devastated when I learned in 1989 that he had died in 1987 because there's no internet, right? And um, I you know in 1987 I was 16 years old and I read the local newspaper, but I wasn't reading the New York Times at that time. Um, and there was not, you know, as far as I know, his death didn't make national news or I missed it, totally missed that he had died. And I wasn't in circles and conversations in high school with people who would be like, oh, did you hear that James Baldwin died, you know, as a high schooler. And so, um, but what happened was I, I had, I just fell in love with him. I fell in love with Harlem, you know, the, you know, because even though he wrote about it, not as like some, you know, um, some panacea or anything it was like that's where he was you know so I just loved everything about him it was definite rose-colored glasses and um and so my first Thanksgiving break as a a a freshman I couldn't afford to go home so a friend who was at Cornell um who I'd known uh when we were in high school um lived in Harlem and invited me to spend Thanksgiving with his family. And you would have thought I was going to the moon. Like I was just, oh, I was like, where James Baldwin, you know? And then I somehow found out that he had passed away. And so I was so saddened by that. Um, and it was, it, it was, in, you know, I was really mourning that um, belatedly because I, I didn't know, but that's just how huge the impact was for me. Cause I think I had in my head somewhere that I was going to meet him one day. Um, and yeah, you know, when you're, I was 16 and just, you know, he had changed my life. And so I guess I wanted to tell him. <laughs> well, you're definitely, your work, I know if he's looking down on us, oh. and, uh, he is like, I hear you. I'm yeah. right there with you. Like, oh, thank you. you. Know, sure. Well, I hope Toni Morrison is looking down too, because I did meet her one time <laughs> and made a complete fool of myself. <laughs> Same year, freshman year, uh, she came to Yale and, and uh, she read from um, Jazz, mm-hmm. which hadn't been published yet. She read in Beinecke Chapel. It was packed. It was a glorious evening. And then she ended with that last line. And look, look where your hand is now. And I hadn't even realized I was crying until like 
we gave her a standing ovation and, and you know, I'm like sobbing. And so the next day um, she was scheduled to have um, lunch at the, um, at the AFAM house. Mm-hmm. And so I had it in my mind, I'm going to get there early and meet her. Right. Of course, you know, no one else was thinking that, but clearly they weren't because I was the first one there and they, you know, she came in and she was seated at the table where she would be sitting and it was just me and her in this room. What? And I couldn't think of anything to say. So I walked up to her and I said, hello. And I told her my name and I had read in one of her books, she mentioned my hometown of Jacksonville, Florida. And I, and I told her I was from Jacksonville and she just looked at me like I was something on the bottom of her My takeaway from that is not anything about her. It's about me, which is I knew then like, okay, I've got to become a person who has something interesting to say, right? You can't like meet Toni Morrison and not have anything to say. But I, I didn't at that time. There was literally nothing going on here nothing so oh, <laughs> you were starstruck was but true but a starstruck but I still didn't have anything like what would I have, I mean I could have said like I love your books I guess you know I don't know <laughs> I don't know what would have worked but um but yeah so I hope they're both looking down now and that she was like oh it's that little weirdo okay <laughs> <laughs> I remember her <laughs> she done good she done good that was I was happy Happy. Yeah, she's doing all right that's good to know, good to know. <laughs> um well speaking of people who have influenced your work to mm-hmm. the point of tears i just want to say that how to make love to a physicist i was crying through that whole story, that entire story um, so I, which then leads me to want to ask, like, has anyone contacted you after reading your book to tell you that they've had like a major breakthrough moment in regard to their relationship with religion and sexuality and, and whatever else? Yes. You know, some people have reached out and said things like, you know, I thought I had made peace with some of these things, whether that's about the church or their bodies or their mothers. Um, and the book stoked something and stirred some things up and like they realized, okay, there's some unfinished business here. Um, I've heard from people who have shared that um, the book started conversations between them and their mothers um, and that uh, their mothers are sharing things with them that they never shared before about themselves around the issues of sex and freedom and, and religion and the harm um, that they've endured. Um, I've heard um, from men that um, they feel privy to women's conversations here. You know, that it's like being a fly on the wall and they're hearing stuff. Um, One guy was like, you know, the stuff that you guys don't tell us. And I was like, no, we tell you, you just don't listen, yo. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) To all that's listening. Hear you, hear you. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, I and I love I love hearing from all of those folks. I also love hearing from folks who tell me that this book um, made them want to write. Mm-hmm. You know, that they had put something aside or they've been putting something off. Um, or just in general, you know, hearing from Black women who say that they feel heard or seen in these uh, characters and these stories. Um, I also love hearing from people who aren't Black women 
who have found their ways into the story around those broader themes of um, freedom and self loving yourself and, and just disrupting these binaries that we've all been subjected to, even if we've never stepped foot in a church mm -hmm. and how those binaries are so limiting and hurtful. Yes. Speaking, oh, yes. speaking of favorites, um, mine was the instructions for married Christians. <laughs> I was wanting to propose to you to make it into a poster. <laughs> we'll, we'll print it out. We'll put it on every church, school, gym, wherever we want to put it. And, you know, it's worth to be seen, heard, read. Right next to the Ten Commandments. Yes, you know, yes. aerospace. The side chick commandments. Because <laughs> the moment that I read it, just like JL, I was like laughing, like tear it up. And I'm like, whoo, this is a roller coaster ride, but it's the best one. <laughs> and you see, your girl Olivia came back. So we know what happened to her. Is those two stories the only ones connected throughout the book? Yeah. 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 It was a, it was a, like reading and you're like, wait a minute. And I'm like, it's her. Oh, oh, no. She's <laughs> a peach color. I'm like, wait. <laughs> it's that moment there's a light bulb and like, oh shit, it's her. <laughs> yep. And it was a light bulb moment for me writing it. I had not planned that, but I think like people have told me who read the story for me as well as the writer. I couldn't shake her, you know? I just was just as devastated, you know, as anyone else when she just felt like she was trapped and she was stuck. And I think this was subconsciously my way of, for better or for worse, you know, showing that, you know, what happened um, next because I started writing that section in, in, in that story under about me. And it's like, I, you know, I own a bakery. And I make the best peach cobbler in town. And I was like, just like you, I was like, it's her. It's her. This is her. And, and something felt, I mean, you know, we can talk about whether this is a good or, or not good outcome for her, or we could reject those binaries and not use those terms at all. Um, so it's debatable how we feel about the outcome for her. But this, you know, at least it gave me that closure of this is where she landed. Yes. She... I believe like her and and Jael would be like friends, like yeah, that they would. I need to meet. On they need to meet. Like, <laughs> yep, they they're like the the church ladies two point oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So speaking of Jael, um, you dropped us with an amazing surprise ending. Did you already have that ending in your mind? before you wrote the story or was this something that you had to like finally piece together and come to that? Well, you know, initially, you know, the, what inspired the story was um, the Bible, uh, you know, the, the section from Judges, the, the scripture. Because mm -hmm. I thought, what a very deeply personal way to kill somebody. Like the level of violence depicted was stark. And um, I read about that story somewhere, looked it up, and then put it in a note and left it. And it was maybe a year or so later when I was building, starting to build a collection. Um, and I was thinking about, you know, what if somebody gave that name to a child? Hmm. Like, what would the, why, first of all, why, who would do that? Why would they do that? 
what would the impact be? And, you know, what if we lived up to our, our namesakes? You know, what would that mean for her? And so I initially saw her um, as this bad seed. And that was a bit of a, you know, um, homage to my mother, because my mother's um, favorite movie, one of her favorite movies other than Imitation of Life, was The Bad Seed. Um, and I even give a little nod because I think there's a character, is she struck by lightning in the story? One, like somebody's friend is, or no, she was hit by a train. Yeah, so this idea that this evil skips a generation, mm-hmm. right? I got that from The Bad Seat, which was my mother's favorite movie, one of her favorite movies. And so I, ha- I wanted to give that character that trait, you know, that there was this sort of inherent, uh, what we would call evilness. But in her case, you know, she's more of a, um, uh, you know, she uses it for, um, to seek revenge. You know, she's, she's like a vigilante. Um, and so it's, in my mind, it's redeemed. Um, but, but certainly from the, through the lens of her hyper-religious grandmother, it is evil. You know, it is of the devil, that sort of thing. Um, and so I initially knew that she there would be some violence, but I did not know that she would do what she did until it came to me as I was writing the scene where she went into his house alone. And it occurred to me, like, this is how she could get him. This is how. Yeah. (laughs) And after that, I was just like, I need a moment. Yes. (laughs) Anybody who has not read this book that's listening to this podcast, just put, put us down. And then go find a book <laughs> and read it, read it, and then come back. <laughs> oh, see. <laughs> it doesn't take long to read, you know. Oh, no, no, it doesn't take long. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It it. I was reading it at work. <laughs> like your sister, I'm also a nurse. So shout out. Oh, I heard you on the podcast, and I'm so glad. Thank first of all, thank you for all you do. And I was like listening and was just mortified that you were at risk like that, you know, for a time. And just, oh, thank you. Still, still is, I think will be um, for quite some time until people mm-hmm. um, stop together. Stop being. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. But, you know, that that is something that takes a village, literally, or a country. That's right. That's right to change yes for sure um since we're talking about this wonderful pandemic yeah (laughs) (laughs) um is is your writing process changed or something has changed within like how you how you do about your stuff or do you have a scheduled timeline are you one of those so undisciplined but um but the pandemic has been a reminder that we do not have time to waste you know and and I don't let me I always want to caveat and preface by saying I'm not talking about like trying to be hyper productive in a pandemic Mm -hmm. if you need to lay in the bed because that's how you're feeling that that's and that's me like I have days like I'm in my bed right now everybody I'm sitting in my bed right now and because I was like do I is this going to be recorded and shown I had to go look at our email because I'm always like just trying to do the least you know and so if I can stay in my bed and, 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 you know, sometimes you just need that, but what, but for, for, for writers though, um, you know, the writing, if you, if you can 
bring yourself to do it. Um, if you're having a day where you have the energy to do it in spite of the world being on fire, um, and you do it. And so it, what it, the reason I think I have been as productive as I have is because of my writing community. Mm-hmm. Um, I started, you know, we, we, a bunch of us got really intentional about spending time together, uh, whether it's on Zoom or some other platform or just FaceTiming and, you know, chatting a little bit and then muting and getting to work. And so having someone there, and so sometimes that's me and one friend, and then sometimes it's a group of people, some of whom I don't even know at like 11 o'clock at night, because one of my writer friends is like, let's do a co-working situation. Um, that, that got me through, that, and I think that got a lot of us through. Um, and so I still have those scheduled writing times to, um, it's, and, and the writing is almost incidental, because for me, it's a time to connect with somebody that doesn't live in my house, you know, because I have been taking the isolation seriously. I don't go anywhere. Um, okay, I, w- I went to the post office a bit to um, mail books for a time. And, you know, and if I had to run into a store or something, but, you know, for the most part, I'm not going anywhere else. And so this is how I get to spend time with my friends. It's all virtual. And, um, and so if we can spend some of that time writing, um, you know, that's a bonus. But then there are just some days when, you know, I'll speak for myself, where I just don't feel great at all. And it's, you know, it's, and I do the absolute least. And that's okay, too. Um, but there's a, um, we talked about confidence, like I feel more confident now. And I think that sense of like, wringing my hands like I don't have time to wring my hands anymore it's one thing if I don't feel like writing at all but I'm not going to waste time wringing my hands about is this good you know it'll be it's going to be what's going to be you know a draft is a draft and you revise and you revise and revise and you, and you do the work but a lot of the stuff that um, I think some of us used to worry about at least for myself like I can't even worry about that anymore um, rejection is rejection um, Tony Morrison talked about revision and critique and feedback, critical feedback is just information. Like it's not meant to be taken personally. And I think that that extends to rejection as well. It's information. This piece still needs work. This piece doesn't, isn't a good fit for that publication. I'm not going to, you know, be devastated by that. Um, The outside, what's happening outside, that's devastating. (laughs) Is this rejection? Not devastating. Um, and yes, even after being, you know, a finalist for the National Book Award, my work still gets rejected. It's been rejected. Um, it still needs revision. Um, the, 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 you know, the writing process is still the writing process. Um, but it, this past year has helped me get over myself. Um, and, and I'm really thankful for each day that my, I'm he- healthy and happy, my friends and family are, and that I'm here to be able to write. Who who helped you edit this? Who was your editor on on your book? So there have been many. Um, oh, you know the stories, you know, have, have seen have been seen by lots of readers before they went to the publisher. Um, the folks that you see in the acknowledgments, some of my closest friends, um, some are writers and some are not. Um, they're just people who I love their eye, I love their ear. Um, I love their sensibility. Um, and so I got lots of feedback on the stories as I was writing them. Um, and then uh, once I turned into manuscript, I work with 
um, Sarah Georgie at West Virginia University Press. Um, and I, you know, they always mention, and I like to mention too, that they are a team of four. The press is run by four people. There's one editor. Um, and now they have a team of five. They just added an office manager, administrator. Um, but there's one editor over there and, uh, and she's amazing. And so, um, you know, we didn't do a lot of heavy, you know, there was not a lot of like restructuring or things like that. Um, and I think that that's a testament to having early readers who were willing to be honest with me and say when something was not working and my willingness to not be precious about it. Um, like Peach Cobbler initially ended with um, Olivia in adulthood and she reconnects with Trevor um, and finds out that he knew the secret all along. Mm. And, and then and, and okay. she... <laughs> And she has a bakery and then they go back in the kitchen. It's after hours and they have sex and bake a peach cobbler. I thought it was gorgeous. Nobody else liked that. No, nobody was doing that. That didn't ring true to anybody who read it. And so I, I cut it and, um, and then I had to figure out, so, okay, if I end it with her as a teenager, where and how? Um, and so in order for the ending to feel right for me and feel true I had to go back into the story and that's when I gave uh, uh, Olivia and Trevor a relationship like in the original version they didn't have much like he was you know flirting with her um, and she shut him down and that was it in the original version so then of course in this version they actually have a relationship and then uh, well I wouldn't call it a relationship but you know um and the same with her mother, I had to add it a scene um, that wasn't there before so that we got a deeper sense of who her mother was, the one where she tells her, don't be like me. Right. Mm-hmm. Don't be like me. Um, sometimes I can, I get myself into trouble because I am trying to paint with such subtle strokes. It's like too subtle, you know, and so I had to go back in and, and um, beat that up a little bit. <laughs> Did you have any stories that you wanted to be included in the book? But, you know, because you said there are other, other people, writer, non-writers, friends, family mm-hmm. that, that read this and be like, I don't think this is working. Mm-hmm. Or you feel like yourself was like, oh, it doesn't fit in the. Yeah. So there was nothing. I mean, I was, I kind of threw my body over the finish line. When I hit 35,000 words, I was like, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> No mas. But what I did do, um, the book, uh, the manuscript that was uh, shopped around was a partial manuscript. Um, it had six stories in it. Three of them had already been published. Um, Peach Cobbler, Not Daniel, and Snowfall had already been published. And then there were three, Gile, I'm sorry, not Peach Cobbler. Absolutely not. Peach Cobbler got rejected. It's never been published anywhere other than my book, which is the story. Um, and a lesson for writers, like, don't be discouraged because now everybody loves that story. Um, so let me see, Eula, not Daniel and Snowfall were the three stories that um, were in the original manuscript that was pitched that had been published. And then Peach Cobbler, Jael, and a third story um, were included and those had not been published. That third story was called um, Must Love IPAs. And it was a cute little, 
dating story. And, um, and I, and the, I got my book deal with that story included and they didn't ask me to take it out, but I, I thought it was kind of weak. Like I just, it just didn't seem to fit and I could have worked on it, but I just wasn't interested enough in it. It didn't hold my interest. Um, and so I don't, I don't know if I'll ever do anything else with it, but, um, but yeah, that one didn't landed on the cutting room floor. And then I had some other story ideas. Um, I probably had about a dozen, at least a dozen story ideas when I sat down to finish the manuscript once I had my book deal. Um, and I wrote little blurbs of all of those. And I was like, I got, I'm up against the clock on this, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time choosing. And so to my five or six friends who are like my close readers, I sent them the little descriptions. And again, some of these stories were like one sentence long, so I didn't really know what they were going to be, but just sort of like a general idea of what it could be. Um, sometimes they didn't have a title. And I just asked them, you know, tell me your top five that you'd want to see develop their stories. And I went with that. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, and and it, I recommend it because you can just get out of your own way because otherwise I'd still be thinking about which stories to include. Yeah, I think, you know, I think you did a really good job on like, and like you said, when you gave up that feeling of like being hurt when people didn't like your stuff. Yeah. And I think it's a lot of like maturity on you as a writer because um, mm -hmm. in anybody's case whether you're writing doing cooking anything if people yeah. would critique something that you've done yeah it's, it's, you always kind of feel some sort of way but I yeah. think what you've done is was very effective and I applaud you for doing that because thank you it is it it, it this is this it's very delicious yes oh yes <laughs> yeah because it's like it's coated it was it was marinated right the temperature was good. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Certified fresh. <laughs> in West Virginia Press. I did not know that there are only a team of four then and now five. So kudos mm -hmm. to them because you know, if not for them, I don't think we would we would see you, and that would be like yeah. heartbreaking. Thank um, you. So more power to them. And thank them. And thank you for taking the time and and it's one thing to like write your stuff but then another thing to invite people in and say okay does this make sense yeah so to have that to have that strength to do that that's a huge thing yeah and that's how you grow yeah you know that is that's how you grow and, and like a lot of writers in the beginning though I wanted people to just tell me it was good right but that's like your parents and like cheerleading they put everything on the refrigerator at a certain point, it's like, okay, I need, I want more than that. I, I want to know how to make this better. I want to be, I want to grow as a writer. I don't want to just, I mean, so it's when you move from that wanting the validation and someone saying, okay, you're a writer. Yeah, okay, yeah. now what? <laughs> the now what is now grow, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that fearlessness. Yes. That what gets you like ahead. Because if you're not afraid, then you would you would get all all of what you've aspired like yeah. all of yeah. the praise all of the 
you know, just everybody reading your book. Everybody. <laughs> Thank you. Like, in the States, everywhere. Like you could go on Instagram and you'll see like all of all of the people loving your book. I don't think I've seen anybody actually hate on this book. Like, I swear. Yeah. Somebody asked me about that. I was like, I wouldn't know. I mean, <laughs> they that. haven't told me. <laughs> and why? Why would somebody ask you that? Just, just ask. Just saying. Does anybody hate you? No. <laughs> right. Well, it's more like, well, how do you feel about your negative reviews? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I'm sure they exist. But, you know, I had other writers. And that's the thing. Like, I, I'm, I approached so many things as if I don't know, right? So I listen to other people. Like I have, you know, good writer friends like Damon Young and Bossy Ixi, who, you know, they gave me so much advice going into this. And, you know, and, and, and so many writers will tell you, don't go to Goodreads and read your reviews, you know? Because why would you? Like, why? it doesn't, you know? You and so, it <laughs> <laughs> and they just gotta hate. <laughs> And you know, and it's okay if this book isn't everybody's cup of tea, because certainly there are lots of books that aren't my cup of tea. I, you know, I can only think of one instance where I felt like I needed to push back on a book. Um, and that's because of larger issues there around some of the themes that were being discussed, but not like, you know, oh, I just didn't like this. You know, I mean, I people are certainly entitled to to their perspectives, and um, you know, now the one, but be fair though, be fair. So my older daughter, you know, the toddler who didn't nap, she reads my reviews, and um, she got so upset because this man gave um, a bad review and he gave it one star, which of course, you know, lowers your, your rating. And she has very justified it. And she was like, this is so unfair because he thought the book was a novel. And so as a novel, it's a terrible book, <laughs> you know, because he's like, it's just disjointed and these characters keep disappearing. And so he gave it one star. And so she, she was not happy about that. And I'm like, let it go. I would I'm on her side though. <laughs> I, would did. I would be like, like excuse know, me, sir. <laughs> first of all. <laughs> first of all, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, we did have a question um from another reader who happens to be my cousin. I, I immediately, after I started reading this book, I texted my cousin and my sister for them to read it. And I said the name of the book and my cousin, she was like, oh, do you think that I could uh, suggest this to my pastor's wife? And we have a book club. <laughs> and that's what I told her. I said, well, I said, you could, but I don't know how they would feel about it once they start reading it. I said, I, you, why don't you read it first and let right. me know what you think? Um, and she read it. She, she's a, uh, a teacher. And so she mm -hmm. read it during her break. She read it just mm -hmm. like she's an English teacher. And uh, she, she loved the book, but she wanted Aww. to know, um, in regards to you, she wanted to know, did you stay in church as a young adult long enough to actually witness or get this firsthand? Or did people later share these stories afterwards for your project? 
Okay, so first, the thing I, I don't want to forget um, to share is if she goes to my Instagram, um, the link in my bio, mm -hmm. there are two, um, it's a long link tree, so you got to scroll. I have two book club guides that are very beautiful. First of all, I have to shout out the, the Pochade design team. Um, but we did two versions of the book club discussion guide, one for church groups specifically. Oh. And so it has an additional set of questions and it does not have the ratchet playlist in the, that the original has. So it's church approved <laughs> and it has, like, I know enough church and Bible to be dangerous. So there are questions in there that, um, that I think church groups can, would, would welcome. So absolutely. Oh, I'll definitely um, that to her now. Yeah, oh. yeah, definitely. So, but make sure it's the one for church groups because the other one has <laughs> a bad bitch playlist, and you don't <laughs> you don't want to give people a reason not not to look at it. But to answer her question, my I, I, so I was sent to church, which is a whole thing. Like I was raised by my mother and my grandmother, and they didn't go, but they sent me. And in how in this book coming out, one thing I've learned. Um, in talking to people is that wasn't unique to me that there were uh, you know there were some of us that that happened to that wasn't just me um, and that is fascinating in and of itself that you would have people who love you who don't feel like they are welcome in the church or they don't want to go for some reason but they feel it's important for you to go so I was always in church um, and so the things that you know my awareness of these a lot of the hypocrisy and a lot of the things that are um, depicted in the collection are things that I either witness firsthand. You know, you're in a church and the um, the you know music director runs off with the 16 year old girl. You know, things like that. Um, I overheard a lot of conversations um, uh, amongst women in and outside of the church. Um, and then, of course, we know that all this stuff is still happening. So all I have to do is, you know, tune into, you know, social media and about what John Gray is doing or what Jamal Bryant has done. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to name names, you know. And, and so to answer her question, it's both and. And so there was the, the only research I did for the book um was I really don't know the Bible that well to have all of those women's names and Jael you know how they like I had to research that stuff um and granny in that story um she quotes a lot of scripture and I grew up hearing those scriptures that's how I knew you know how they felt organic like oh she would say this here mm -hmm. um but I would only know pieces of it because I'd always heard and I never knew the real full thing so I had to look those scriptures up and, and it was really surprising sometimes to see those things in context and the fullness of them and so you know I would only know the little catchphrase part of the scripture but of course granny would know the entire scripture she probably memorized it you know oh, so for her you know I had to do that research but other than that there you know there wasn't you know I didn't um the, oh I'm sorry the only the only interview I conducted um for this was for how to make love to a physicist. Um, the real life physicist who I had a crush on, who did not crush back on me, um, but who is so wonderful. Um, I wanted to sound like I knew, like I wanted the physicist to sound like a physicist. Mm -hmm. And you can, I did some research. So some of the stuff he was talking about, I 
found and kind of, you know, brought it into the story. And then I went back to this physicist that I knew and I was like, does this ring true? And then, you know, he was like, well, it's actually, and he kind of helped me sort out the science. And then when it got to my editor at the press, she contacted someone at West Virginia University in their like physics department and asked the question to clarify something else. So a little bit of research had to be done there. Um, but my favorite part was talking to that physicist that, um, that I had the crush on and asking him about his, how he reconciled faith and religion or if he did. Um, and so some of our conversation became the conversation between Lyra and Eric. So he was um, very gracious in allowing me to um, pick his brain about those things. But, um, but no, I'm well versed in the hypocrisy of the church and, and how, um, you know, how, again, those binaries um, can really be a barrier and a hindrance for so many of us and, and how part of so many Black women's narrative has been some path away um, if not away from the physical church, um, the, 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 um, what's sort of looking for the, the emotional space of the church mm-hmm. and toward freedom. Well, I, I want to say, um, one thing that I have noticed about you, um, is watching you pop up on Instagram and doing a series of interview after interview after interview. <laughs> And it looking like, you know, like it was the first one of the day. Um, so how are you able to make appearances like that without Ooh. breaking sweat? That's like, that's what I want to know. But before that question, though, I just want to say to all, to all the people that the physicist is real. Girl, she's, he's real. She's been wanting he is. They, 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 they are all in my DMs trying to figure out who he is. I'm never going <laughs> to give him up. I'm never going to give him up. Nope, no, like, I'm what, respecting his privacy. What, People what, have like sent me like pictures. Like, is it him? Is it this guy? <laughs> and let me tell you now, I did not know there were so many fine black businesses in the world, right? <laughs> no, so, like, I'm like, it's not him, but is he single though? That is the question. <laughs> so. That is true. Well, the girls in the, the the book club was just like, well, we just really want to know if he just, if he exists. Like, you know, we don't want to know the names. Whatever. <laughs> well, okay, so an inspiration for this exists, but the actual guy, he's not like Eric. Like, professionally, he doesn't he, 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 he doesn't do any of those things. He does something completely different. But his, tra- you know, he is a physicist. Um, and um he is um yeah he's he's a totally different kind of person than than Eric still a, a great person certainly I had a crush on him so I can't say a bad thing about <laughs> it so but he's not Eric Eric oh yes back to Eric but how did you do it like how do you um words I'm all like I think is you know how people who are introverted talk about how after they do something that's like really requires some extroversion and interacting with people, it's de- it depletes them, and then they have to go do an introvert thing to you know refill their tank. Um, that's how it feels like for me sometimes because I absolutely enjoy the conversations and I'm always so thankful that like people are interested. Um, and then I will sit in that same spot for like two hours. 
just like <laughs> they right and not because I'm not happy or wasn't happy to do it but it 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 you know it takes work and then you know I have to decompress afterwards um you sometimes I have things you know back to back but I try to put them with a little bit of a gap in between you know um, one thing that I did one time that made a huge difference and I wish I would do more of, and I should is take a nap. Mm -hmm. Like, even if it's just 30 minutes, but this one day I hadn't gotten much sleep and I had this thing coming up and I was like, I don't, I don't think I can muster it. You know, I, I was like, I'm going to crash if I don't just take a little nap and I just squeeze that nap in and then everything was fine. Um, but that's, that's usually it is that it takes a lot and then I don't force myself I always have things that I think I'm gonna do afterwards like okay as soon as this is over I'm gonna go wash my dishes mm -mm. nope <laughs> it's a wrap I have I have I've had I've I've learned uh it's taken me a year but I've learned that um there's very little that's going to get done after an evening event there's just and and that I shouldn't plan anything because then you can plan it and then you don't do it then it feels like you know I neglected something so it's like don't even bother just I know this is where I'm going to be for the next couple of hours <laughs> yeah like I'm an introvert so I know exactly what you're talking about like mm -hmm. but talking to you you wouldn't know that you know you have that kind of aspect in your life so people mm -hmm. are like talking to me I'm like oh yeah like you're not an introvert like watch me with like outside with a group of people like yeah <laughs> but then if it's something like this i'll be okay but you know you, you yeah. gotta you gotta fill up the cup yeah too you have to you have to you gotta learn sometimes <laughs> oh yes what is it a, a hard head makes a soft behind yep. yes <laughs> you will learn mm -hmm. <laughs> so do you have any I don't know, like new projects that you're mm -hmm. working on or, you know, any. Yeah. So the, I started working on this novel in 2007 and um, the collection was really a detour from that novel um, because I just kept stalling over the years with it. And now I feel like I can finish it. And it's a very different novel than the one I started. Um, I'm very, I'm a different person in, in some respects. I'm certainly a different writer. Um, and so a lot of the things that I saw as these are my stumbling blocks with this novel are no longer there because it's like, oh, because I'm not interested in that, <laughs> right? I kept trying to write this thing. And the problem wasn't the writing. The problem was I didn't really care about that anymore or that's not where my interest lies. And so one thing that, you know, writing this collection has given me is this perspective of I can follow my interests. Mm -hmm. I can, you know, I can follow my own pleasure um, and, and I can have fun with this and I can play and I can experiment. Um, and when I do, when I realized, okay, I can do that with this novel, it turned into, I mean, the character is, um, the, the basic premise is still there. I renamed the character. Um, I, the main character, I realized that in the original draft, from 2007 that she um she was too good you know and so things were just happening to her and um 
and it was you know that sort of the, the the stakes needed to be raised like there was very little at stake for her and that's one of my weaknesses as a writer is that I'll enter into a story and I have to work really hard to raise the stakes because it'll be like oh you know I'm going to write about this woman who's co-parenting with this mega pastor after they got divorced and they divorced five years ago and a friend of mine was like yeah no that's okay but I want to see that marriage oh yeah that is far more interesting let's see this unhappy woman married to a mega church pastor go okay (laughs) right I mean such a simple but it's like I, I have to work at that and so that's where I landed but then I had to ratchet it up even further like I had her as a character who was kind of over the day-to-day of being a pastor's wife. And so she, you know, had this secret blog and then, you know, and now, like now she can't be blogging because she's blogging, you know, um, but 2007, you know, people were starting to blog, but, um, and then she gets outed as the person behind this blog and, um, and, you know, all hell breaks loose. I lost interest in that. I know now that that's what happened. I didn't get stuck. I lost interest. But what if she's all into this role? What if she is pretentious? What if she is superficial? Um, That's far more interesting for someone who's totally invested in that life to then lose it all. Such a simple thing, you know? But then on top of that, I was like, oh, wait, I'm not even that invested in her relationship and whether this marriage lasts, because I don't care. I'm much more interested in this friendship she's had with this woman. They've been friends since they were 13. That's where I'm going to, that's what I'm going to write about. (laughs) Yeah, because when when reading uh, Eula, because Denny Denny knows, like, I am not a a first person. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know like it you know sometimes I it gets in the way of what I'm what I'm reading but what you have the power of doing is you tell us the person who's talking we know where they're coming from mm-hmm. but you have a power of letting everyone else know where everybody else in the story is also coming from even though the story is not told from their perspective I don't know how you, you how you do it but it just <laughs> feels as if we are also in that person's mind at the same time as the other one is speaking it's it's genius however you. you're doing that it's, <laughs> it's beautiful and that the first story everything that whole story was just rich and lush and good and you are an amazing writer thank you so much it Zornia Hurston is my favorite she is one whose book I can read over and over and mm-hmm. over and when reading your book, I'm like, you write that with her. Oh gosh, thank you. I, I have restarted your book and it is, it's just, it touches, it, it's touching different areas. And I think that's why it just opens up so much for me. Thank so you. on that note, we want to know, we ask everybody who comes on our, on our podcast. Yes. We want to know what your top five books are like what are your absolutely top five I know you oh, spoke about Toni Morrison and, and uh, oh, I suck at superlatives like <laughs> you ask me this question tomorrow I'm gonna give you a whole other set of while you think um do, did you have already your copy with a seal <laughs> yeah 
one. I didn't at first. I got one like a couple of weeks ago. Yes. That's when we were like stalking you, not really stalking you, but following you on Instagram. I'm like, look, she's there again. And look, she's there again. And you know, we just listened to you. And then we're like, oh, she doesn't have a copy of her book that has a seal. But anyway, yes, you, I, I still break, this is still in my book, my book bag for work. Aww. And when, and when I'm, you know, when I, when I'm just wanting to be in my own head and wanting mm-hmm. just to myself, I, I, I read this over and over again. Oh, thank you there. so much. Yeah. Thank you. And I get what she was saying with you, luck because she <laughs> hates first person <laughs> with a passion, <laughs> but you have done it to a point that even though I am talking, I know where you and the other character is at. Thank you. Thank you. The sorcery. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I hope I can keep doing it. I hope I can keep doing that. That you know, and it's funny because what you don't want is for and this is what I worried about with that novel is that I was getting tired of her. Um, even though and I can't remember. I, I tried to write her in first person in the novel. I changed it to third person because I felt like she was annoying and it sounded navel gazing. But I think the issue wasn't the point of view. I think she was just annoying and navel gazing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like having a kid, like you have to know when your kid is just obnoxious, right? And it's not. True. So, um, <laughs> oh, top five books. All right, I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna take my liberties, and I'm gonna pick five books that I'm excited about. Okay. Okay. Is that okay? We'll, we'll take that. Right? We'll yeah. take it. All right. I am excited about, and let's see, I might have to do a little Google to get the title right for one of these. Um, but I'm excited about um, The Prophet by... Oh, yes! Listen! <laughs> we just I, <laughs> The... And Robert, and, and you know what I love? I love good books, but I also love even more good books by good people, mm-hmm. right? You know, isn't it terrible when there's like a great book and the person's like not nice? Yes. Um, but Robert Jones Jr., um, we claim each other as cousins now just because it's like we're each other's people, you know? And he has been so kind to me. Um, I don't know if you saw on Instagram, but he recorded himself reading Eula. I was like, did I write that? Like, it's, <laughs> I, I, it's just new life. He and it was with such love. He read that story with such love and tenderness. Um, so I'm excited about um, the prophets. Um, it's not like, and a lot of people have said this. It's not like anything we've seen before. Um, in part, it's many things, but part of it is a love story between two young enslaved men. Um, and the re- humanity that he restores to enslaved people as fully realized, as fully human, the re- it's just a, it's an act of love, it's an act of restoration. Um, and uh, it absolutely wore me out to read it, but I, I, I needed it because I usually avoid books and movies about slavery um, as much as I can. Um, but if you're someone who does that, typically I would say, please read this book, read that book. Um, then I want to shout out two homegirls. They're both from Jacksonville, Florida, and their books are like on all of the must read 2021 books. Um, there's Donnie Walton and the final revival of Opal and Ned. 
Um, we just got that in that galley. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm on. All right, I'm on a roll. I'm on a roll. Yeah, and then like the profits. We actually had that in our like January like pick. Okay. So I'm like, yes, it's Tisha approved. <laughs> yes. Okay. So my next one, my next homegirl is uh, Dantiel Moniz, and um, her book is Milk Blood Heat. Another collection yes! of oh, cookies. <laughs> gods by brian broom who is one of my best best friends and brian is here in pittsburgh it's memoir um first of all just go to amazon or to his publisher's site or his site and read the blurb like i've just never seen a book get such praise right and i'm i'm, I'm you know hyping this book even though brian he won't let me read it what? I have to read it like with everybody else because he's I love him and we fight all the time and he has this like weird crazy thing where one time like five years ago he wrote something and I was like eh, you know I didn't love it and he's he's like okay fine you can never read anything I write again he's sensitive he's very and I'm sensitive like we can't both be sensitive <laughs> So I'm he like, well, can I get like an arc? And he's like, no. He's like, he will not. He will not. And so I have to pre-order the book like everybody else. Oh, when is it coming out? I don't know. Let's not give him any more shine. <laughs> I don't know. It's on It's on Lit Hub's, um, Lit Hub just posted a list of like top, you know, most anticipated books for 2021. If you go to that Lit Hub list, He's on page five. I will say that. So you know how they have like 12 pages. So you click yeah. five, he's right there. Um, but he is, you know, he, he, he writes about growing up as a queer, dark-skinned, queer Black man in Ohio and um, all that that entails, entailed and, and, you know, his struggles with um, loving himself and with uh, substance abuse and, yeah. I've heard this story before because I think I I did go to Lit Hub. I know I know what you're talking about. Okay. Me when you when you said the the storyline of what it is about, I'm like nonfiction. I'm like wait, I was trying to find it in that galley because I'm like, but I don't think it was there. But I'm gonna check again. But I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yes. All right. So my fifth book. Oh my gosh, this is so hard. This is so hard. Let's see. I've got I got a basket here, a basket of books over here. Um, that I need to. Let's see. There's something I need to finish that I haven't finished yet. Um, no, I finished all of those. Um, let me think. Who else can I shout out? Um. And this is not a this is not a new book, but um, I want to shout out my friend Samantha Irby, who wrote this collection called Wow, No Thank You. This is her third uh, collection of of uh, memoir and essays. And um, Sam, first, you know, she's just the funniest person ever, um, and she does this thing so beautifully where she writes. Um, things that are just absolutely heartbreaking um 
but you're also laughing while you're crying. And she's just so honest. Um, and I discovered um, her writing um, when uh, I want to say it was for the Rumpus. She wrote about um, her mother being her mother's caretaker when she was a child. And I was devastated, absolutely devastated. And it was one of those things, you know, you read something, you're like, okay, I need to read everything this person's ever written. So then I found her blog and then, um, and then we, you know, connected and and we became friends. And when I knew that I was doing a book tour, I was like, I really hope she'll agree to, you know, do an event with me. And, um, and she said, yes. And so we were doing our event and she always has amazing lipstick, right? Like, Sam rocks a red lip like nobody else and so it's like you look like that and you look great and you have a lip and you can write you know she's just got all the things and so I was saying that to her as the thing was uh the uh, interview was starting and um and she's like oh I'll send you some and so this week she sent me Tom Ford lipstick right and so I'm gonna do a photo shoot um you know in honor of, of Sam and uh so I I I'm always a Samantha Irby fan so I'm always in love with her at every moment so I want to mention wow no thank you I and of her three books I mean you know wow no thank you the first was meaty and then we are never meeting in real life like read them all I love them all um and I love her so the first time I I heard her speak uh was on a podcast uh death sex and money Oh yeah. Talking about like her mom and just growing up and she is hilarious and it's crazy how she can be able to find the humor even in those dark moments. Yeah. Yeah. Life, but she is amazing. I think doesn't she have a blog that's all about Judge Mathis? It's a newsletter, yes. Oh yes, I love (laughs) Judge Mathis today. Because I, my the same cousin who asked the question mm-hmm. is in love with Judge Mathis. So when I found that, I sent it to her, and I'm like, "You have to read all of these." Uh, her Substack newsletter is hilarious. <laughs> well, I mean, she's just she is hilarious. So, and you know how like people like you name drop and stuff is like I will name drop Samantha all the time. Like I could text her right now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, tell her I say hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we are um, we're coming towards the end of our, our our time with you, so we have one final question. It is, um, you know, for twenty twenty one. What are your mm-hmm. what are you looking for? Like, what are your aspirations um, for yourself? Maybe for you know just the writing community and maybe yeah. a little bit for 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 this country a little bit a little bit um i want uh the death toll to stop to slow down to you know something and i know that that's a hail mary that's a big ask yes um because people won't stay in a fucking house like i don't know what else to say but there's still a part of me that hopes that we something happens that turns this around whether it's the vaccine or I don't know what it will take um but I'm still hopeful for that um I'm I'm glad that most people that I know and am close to are taking it I'm sorry everybody I don't know any I don't associate with people who aren't taking this seriously I just don't um and uh and so I'm hopeful 
um, on a broad scale that that we are um, moving towards the end of this pandemic. So I know it's going to take years. Um, I'm hopeful for my immediate family and friends to to stay healthy and to stay safe. Um, and for the writing community, um, I hope we keep leaning into each other and supporting each other um, because just like you know bad reviews, like all I know is goodness from fellow writers. That's all I know is is just love, you know, mutual love and respect and support and um, people lifting as they climb, which is the model of the Black Women's Church, uh, not church, Black Women's Club movement. Um, and people like Kiese Lehman, you know, being a gateway and all, you know, those of us who he's been a gateway for, we're now being a gateway for other people. So I want to see that continue to happen and to be, you know, for it to happen exponentially, um, for doors to continue to be open, um, for stories to get told, um, for publishing, the whiteness of the publishing industry, um, for those barriers to, um, to be broken down. Um, and we have to be intentional about that. Um, and then for myself, I'd like to finish that novel um, and you know some other projects I'm working on. Like right now I have an essay and I have um, another unrelated short story that um, you know, it's round 75 of revision, <laughs> you know, so maybe they'll see the light of day. Um, and, um, you know, I'm very thankful that there was interest uh, from Hollywood to adapt my book. And so, you know, would love to see that process continue to unfold. And I can't say much more about it um, right now, but. Because <laughs> we actually yeah. was like having a question, like if you want one of your novels, what would it like, which one of your novels would be like the movie? Or the but oh, I am very happy. <laughs> that I'm satisfied. <laughs> and when you are able to talk about it, be you know, you're more than welcome to come back and tell us all. Um, the news. Would love that. <laughs> would with love any that. Project, with any project, with anything that you do, you are more than welcome to come back to Vulgar Geniuses. Oh, we love you. you. We adore you. <laughs> love you guys. This has been great. Thank you. Um, thank you for and, coming. You know, like, I hope you know that you are the, like Veronica was saying last time when we were talking about this, you are part of like the new like Harlem Renaissance of writers. Oh, thank you. Oh my gosh, that was like that whole period. Like I'm such a Harlem Renaissance geek. Um, again, the Harlem thing, right? Like I totally romanticized it. But thank you. That's such high praise. Yeah, you you are part of all all the new and upcoming writers, inspiring and letting people know that our voices can be heard. We are represented, and our yes. stories matter. Um, we thank you for your thank time. Thank you so much. Yay! You guys have a wonderful rest of your weekend. You do the same. And you're a wonderful you. human being. Don't be a stranger and please come back anytime. I will. Anytime. You. you can hit us up at 2 a.m. We'll be like, we're there. <laughs> Handle. <laughs> I, I <got> some dirt. <laughs> thank you. You stay safe. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye. 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 We hope you enjoyed our show. Follow us on Instagram at Vulgar Geniuses Book Club. Our theme song was produced by Sean Kantrowitz. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Sean Dammit.
That's spelled S-E-A-N-D-A-M-M-I-T. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. See you next time. Deuces.